Welcome back to Fireside Mets episode four. Uh, this is Daniel Marcello here with Jimmy Riley. Jimmy, how is everything going? Yeah, it's doing a lot better now that we uh, we got baseball coming back, hopefully. How about you, Dan? Yeah, it's glad to see that the players and the owners were finally able to work something out. You know, we're finally getting baseball. Um, you know, we talked about on the prior podcast how we thought baseball might not even be coming back until 2021, 2022, maybe. Yeah. Um, so jump right into it you know it's been a while uh, been a couple weeks since our last uh, podcast went up but um you know we'll start talking about the Mets draft picks and the number one overall pick for the Mets uh P. Crow Armstrong the outfielder uh what an interesting guy let alone baseball player but um from the outset I love the potential this guy has yeah, for sure. I mean, to be drafted in the first round right out of high school, I mean, you clearly have talent if if that's your story. And, you know, the Mets definitely need the uh, the help in the outfield in the minor leagues. I mean, they definitely have some, uh, you know, they don't have too much room in the majors, but, you know, the guy's, what, 18, 19, 20 years old? I don't, you know, I don't think he needs to, you know, have expectations to be in the major leagues right now. You know, he definitely can help out in the minor leagues, and I think he, he really has a strong case going forward. Right, and he he was a potential uh, Vandy commit, which, again, that's one of the premier baseball programs in the country. Um, but already, MLB Pipeline had him as his number 20 overall draft prospect. The Mets drafted him at number 19 overall. And, you know, you got to say that, to me, he looks like a, p- a possible five-tool player. Um, you know, I think a step above... Like a combination of maybe a Brandon Nimmo and Michael Conforto if you mix them into one player. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, what I found interesting about him was just his personality. You know, he um, seems like a very stand-up guy, very mature guy for someone who's such a young kid. And I think if you look at the Mets right now, he fits into the sort of um, great character guys or strong character guys like Alonzo Stroman. So it's just another guy in the pipeline for the Mets in, in terms of just overall a good leader. Yeah, no, I definitely agree with you there. You know, he's kind of like you said, kind of like Alonzo. He's, you know, at such a young age, he already has that leadership, you know, trait to him. And I, I think, you know, he's really going to be a leader for the Mets for years to come. Yeah, and he was he was playing out of his mind, you know, before the season uh, came to an end. He was hitting 514 even though it was only 10 games, but he only struck out once in 42 at-bats. He was coming off a year where he hit 426. Um, and they even and even they're saying, the scouts are saying that the hitting isn't even his best trait. It's a speed and outfield player what's best. So I think when you can see how well this guy is hitting, again, at a high school level, but still you see the potential this guy has with the bat, and then you're going to tell me that his speed and outfield are – his best traits i mean i think you're looking at you know i said conforto nemo combo maybe even a carlos beltran type of player yeah definitely I, yeah i mean his defense is is looking really stellar i mean you know it's 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 rare to find a player that that can do everything and i think the mets definitely found one here yeah and, and i think drafting him kind of uh takes away the blow of trading Jared Kalanick to the Seattle Mariners in the Diaz-Cano trade. Um, obviously, you would love to have both of those kids in the minor leagues, potentially either replacing Conforto or 
Nipmo, if they leave for free agency, they'd be right up behind him. But it's good that they, to me, this whole draft they did very well. And if you look at the past few years, the Mets have drafted some interesting players. You know, Nimmo was a very interesting guy out of Wyoming who didn't play any high school baseball, had to play Legion ball. Um, Conforto was a guy who spent maybe what, what year and a half in the minors before contributing to a World Series team. Dom Smith was an interesting guy overall. Matt Harvey ended up becoming a star for, you know, before uh, all the arm injuries caught up to him. So overall, the Mets have really, I said over the last decade, they've done pretty well in the first round at least. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, their first round picks have definitely, you know, gone on to be successful. So, you know, just my point of view, I'm thinking it's going to pan out that way this year too. Yeah, and, you know, we'll move on to the Mets uh one of the Mets' second-round picks, which was JT Jin, uh, the pitcher who lost the beginning. Well, he didn't really do anything at all this season because of uh, Tommy John's surgery, which he's going to be an interesting guy because the Mets still haven't – he's the only uh, guy they drafted that they haven't signed yet. So, you know, maybe, again, only a sophomore, maybe he's looking to move up in the draft in the future because – this guy did have first round talent according to the scouts. You know, do you think he's going to sign back, sign with the Mets or do you think he's going to go back to Mississippi State? Yeah, I mean it's it's definitely uh an interesting situation with him. It sounds like it's going to be a financial kind of standoff between the Mets and uh and Jin. You know, obviously he's he's got, you know, plenty of talent. I mean, you're not drafted in the in the first round of the um or in the second round of the um, MLB draft if you don't have talent. So right. I, I think it's just going to be, you know, money is what, what it comes down to with him. Yeah, and I think that's probably the reason why he wants to go back to Mississippi State because if these scouts are saying this kid's a first-round talent. You know, I think he wants to prove that he is that coming off of Tommy John. Um, but there, there wasn't really much that we could have worked with this year in terms of looking at them. And that's really what a lot of these teams did with the draft. It was more of like a crapshoot where you're hoping out of a small sample size that you're drafting someone very well. Yeah. Um, and then we'll talk about the compensation pick before we just go over the last three guys. Uh, Isaiah Green, I like this for the compensation picks, the 69th overall. This was the pick they got when Zach Wheeler signed with the Philadelphia Phillies. To me, this guy, he looks like a, I don't want to say Brett Gardner type of player, but he's not hes not the five-tool guy that Crow Armstrong looks like to, he's going to be, but he, Green definitely looks like a guy who could be, um, you know, a corner outfield guy, a leadoff hitter guy who's going to play the terms of the, the way Brett Gardner kind of did when he was a younger player. Yeah, I definitely agree with you there. I mean, it's, you know, obviously losing uh losing Wheeler, especially to the Phillies was a uh, tough pill to swallow, but you know, I'm I'm coming to terms with that after drafting Green. I think yeah, he definitely resembles a, you know, a younger Brett Gardner. I was even thinking a, you know, Michael Brantley type guy. I think there's there's uh the Mets really really did well with that one. Yeah, I like Brant I like the Brantley uh comparison. Um I think I think Green is another guy. I, I I was personally surprised that he took the deal out of high school. Um, personally, I thought he he probably could have moved up in the draft if he went to college for the two years. But again, I the fact that the Mets were able to sign have signed a majority of their guys so far is a good is a good thing for them. 
Yeah, for sure. And it definitely, you know, helps with the, uh, with the age, you know, signing the, you know, two of your first three draft picks right out of high school. I mean, you know, the Mets are definitely a young team in the majors and now, you know, they're even adding to that in the minors. Yeah. And we've, you know, we've heard a lot of, I won't say complaints, but we've heard a lot of things saying the Mets maybe don't have the strongest farm system, but you look at, you look at their team, Alonzo was in their farm system. McNeil was in their farm system. Um, Nemo, Conforto, DeGrom, you know, these guys are all, most of these guys that were producers last year outside of guys like Ramos and J.D. Davis were guys that they grew themselves, you know? Yeah. And they, and they weren't just like, no, they weren't just like Juan Lagares guys where they were only good at one thing. These were guys who were all-stars who were real producers. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, we'll look at the, Last we'll look at the last three here. Obviously, Anthony Walter Walter is a shortstop who probably projects more of a corner infielder as he gets older. Matthew Dwyer, I like the Dwyer pick. Um, very versatile player. The guy can play pretty much every position except pitcher and maybe center field. Um, and Eric Eric Ors, I think that's how you pronounce Orzy. I'm not sure of the pronunciation of his name, but he was the pitcher out of New Orleans who battled through cancer twice and really burst onto the scene uh, last year into this year. So I think, you know, you look at the guys that they drafted, you know, Brody Van Wagen talked about high upside players, guys that, you know, they project to be stars at some point. And I think this draft, the Mets did a very great job overall. Yeah, I definitely agree there. Um, uh, yeah, I, I was I was interested by the uh, the Anthony Walters pick the uh, the shortstop. I was, you know, they they have Jimenez in the uh, in the minor leagues. I thought they were gonna kind of groom him up to be the next you know big shortstop prospect. But uh, I'm curious to see now. There's a little bit more competition on them both, and it's uh, it's definitely gonna be a, a good farm system the Mets have. Yeah, definitely. I think they're doing a great job of replenishing. Um what their farm system was. And that just, you know, that that goes to the scouts as well. The scouts did a very good job. Now the Mets have, you know, they have Jimenez, they have Ronnie Marusio, and they have now Walters in the minor leagues. Now these guys are going to lose a year because of the there being no minor league baseball this year. But I think the Mets set themselves up in a good position to, you know, to rebuild what people felt was a very weak farm system. Yeah, I definitely agree with you there. And we'll talk about one of the biggest things that was going on with social media the other day was uh, Pete Alonso uh, being talked about as sort of the face of New York baseball over Aaron Judge. And then that sparked some uh, back and forth from Yankee fans. And then uh, an MLB uh, an MLB uh, fan account called MLB Nerds on Instagram put up a graphic that showed Luke Voigt in a very, I don't want to say, I'm trying to figure out the right word for this, but a very strict or very hand-picked sample size that he was playing better than Pete Alonso. I don't know if you you saw that or your thoughts on uh, on that post and just certain terms of Alonso being a face of New York baseball. Yeah, I mean, you know, Coming off a year that uh, that Alonzo has, he broke the uh, rookie home run record. I, I think he 
definitely is, is deserving of it, of that, you know, face of New York. Um, you know, I, I, I do think Judge is a little bit, um, you know, like you said, he, he's been around for a little while longer. He's, he's kind of proven himself, established himself as a, you know, as a, as a star player. And, you know, if we were just going based on last season, I would say for sure, you know, it goes to Alonzo 100%. But, you know, who knows? Obviously, we're hoping Alonzo, you know, maintains that uh, that level of play he had. But, you know, for all we know, he could go into a sophomore slump. And then, you know, you'd have to give it to Judge if he performs the way he is. Um, you know, it's like you said, it all comes down to sample size. I, I think if it goes just based on last year, hands down Alonzo. But... You know, as as much as I hate to say it, I I think the Yankee fans have a uh, have a fair point. Uh, you know, even though I don't want to agree with them. Yeah, to to me, you know, I think for it to even be something the Yankee fans got to defend, I think they even see Alonzo as a threat. Um, in terms of on field play, I think Judge is a better player than Alonzo. But here's the thing: you got to ask yourself. Judge has not played a full season in in the last two seasons. Plus, you can put up the argument that Alonzo has only played one season. But to me, the real question for this is, would you rather get 106 games or 105 games out of Aaron Judge or 160 games out of Pete Alonzo? And to me, the, the, it's an obvious answer is that you want Alonzo's 160 games because in those games pitchers are designing you know scouting reports they're designing ways to pitch around guys or to avoid putting guys on base for him when you have judge at a lineup and he's being replaced with aaron hicks brett gardner you'd one million percent would rather pitch to those two guys than to pitch to judge so it's not just the numbers it's the mind games it's the way the guys pitched in front of him the two guys that are in front of him it changes the game big time yeah for sure and the Luke Voigt Alonzo comparison was comparing Alonzo's 2019 to Luke Voigt's August 2018 to June 2019 before he started battling with injuries. But the numbers, you know, the, the numbers are Alonzo's got about 200 more plate appearances, but Voigt's got a better average OBP, um, OPS about a 20 point lead better in terms of the analytics it looks a lot better better strikeout rate better walk rate slightly but again to me i think when you i think it's a very understandable argument to make but again part of being a good player is staying healthy yeah you know that's that's kind of that's what diminished david Wright. that's what diminished troy tulowitzki that's what diminished grady sizemore if you can't stay healthy and produce for 160 games you become a replacement level player at that point. Yeah, no, exactly. You know, especially with, uh, with, yeah, like uh, I was thinking about the comparison between Tulo and judge, you know, both of them are, you know, they've definitely established themselves as, themselves as, you know, star players, but you know, injuries catch up to them. You know, judge is obviously a much younger player than, than Tulo was when he started, you know, piling up the injuries, but uh, you know, I'm definitely seeing some strong comparisons there. And, uh, you know, I think I think Voigt might be headed down that path too. Yeah, and the thing is, is that judges, as much as we want to see judges a young star, he's already twenty eight years old. 
and for his body to his body has gone through a lot these aren't just like a sprained ankle or a or you know pulled hamstring or something like that it's his injuries have been pretty severe especially what he was most likely going to miss the beginning of the original season with yeah and so i think you know personally i think the face of new york personally i think the face of new york baseball maybe a little biased is alonzo just because when i look at aaron judge he's not what Derek cheater was you know Derek cheater was the i don't want to say underdog but from kalamazoo he wasn't a big name guy out of college or out of high school excuse me and he worked his way up and he was an immediate leader from a young age and he you know he was in his rookie season you know the 96 World Series, 97 World Series, 98 World Series, 2000 World Series. So he he was winning and winning and winning. And he was, not only that, he was the good-looking face. He didn't, he always said the right thing. There was no controversy with him. Um, and there's no controversy with Judge, but I don't think people, people looked at Derek Jeter like, oh, I could be that guy. And that's why I think people look at Alonzo as Alonzo's Alonzo and judge are two different body types, big time, but they're both strong as can be. But you look at Pete Alonzo, you're like, you know what? That could be me. And I can, I'm that goofy guy. You know, I, I'm the guy who is going to dive, you know, dive in a home plate or say LFGM. He's, Alonzo, Alonzo's a goofy guy. You know, he's, he's relaxed. He's the, he's the guy you hung out with on the baseball team that got along with everybody that didn't feel like he was better than the guy next to him. No, for sure. I mean, you know, he's the polar bear, you know, he's, uh, he's definitely making it happen, man. Yeah. And, and judge, he's kind of, he's, he's kind of got that swagger to him like that, like that swagger, like that, that confidence he's always got that he's always feeling like he's a little better than everyone else in the room with him. Yeah, no, I definitely agree with you there. He's a good he's a good dude, but I think when you're looking at who's gonna appeal to fans more, I think Alonzo does in a in a in a way. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean Alonzo definitely has a a way of, of rallying the troops that I don't think Judge really has. Yeah, and also Alonzo likes to have himself visible on social media and connect with the fans. Judge is a little more to himself, you know, like Mike Trout, a little more to himself, doesn't really do too much uh to put himself in the spotlight yeah for sure yeah i was uh speaking of uh of social media i was uh interested a couple of weeks ago aaron judge's girlfriend got arrested for i think it was like a dwi and i, I was so interested to see if judge would like come out and say anything but you know i didn't see him say anything maybe he did maybe i just missed it but you know not that that's like a uh you know a, a bash on his character obviously he had nothing to do with that but I, I was interested in seeing his reaction towards that yeah um and also you know judge judge you know the, <laughs> that was a that was a funny story with with judge and his girlfriend um judges uh you know the fact that she tried to use that to get out of the dui or whatever it was was a pretty comical error to make but you know, Judge. Many people. There's there's stories about Judge that are a little under the table that are better suited to be talked about off the podcast, considering how little they're known. But uh, 
there's certainly some uh, some stuff going on with Judge that is sort of like Jeter that you don't know who he's sleeping around with in certain times. Yeah. Um, but we'll move on and talk about the New York Mets and what we're looking at for their spring training, uh, spring training 2.0 roster, which the Mets actually released about two hours ago. They put it on their Instagram page. And this is two hours ago for those of you who may be listening at a different time. Two hours ago, as in nine o'clock on June 28th. Uh, we'll look at the pitchers first. And I think one of the interesting things is that obviously there's no Noah Syndergaard because of Tommy John. But you're seeing, we'll look at the rotation possibilities. Obviously, DeGrom's your number one. Uh, Strowman's your number two, Matt's is your number three, and Porcello and Walker on the roster. I know we talked about this uh, a few podcasts ago, but I still am a big fan even more now in this 60-game season that you put Seth Lugo in the starting rotation. Yeah, no, I definitely agree there. You know, he definitely proved himself last season. I think he definitely deserves a uh, deserves a shot. And yeah, like you said, he has a 60 game season, you know, so it's, it's not going to be a, you know, definite 162 game, you know, long season. He, he has a, a quick window to work with. So I think now's the great time to experiment with that. Yeah. And another thing with this starting rotation is that you have, you hope Diaz is going to be the guy you traded for. And I think what allows you to put Lugo in the rotation is now you have the chances as a safety net. And if you, if say Batances doesn't seem like he's got it or Familia doesn't have it or Diaz, you know, you can't waste more than a week with him, to be honest with you. Then you put Lugo back in the bullpen and you make Waka or Porcello, probably Waka, the starting pitcher. But I think Lugo is definitely a good option. And not only that, I think if you're the Mets, if all five pitchers in the rotation make their starts, the most starts the ground is going to make is 12 in that situation. So to me, you got to pitch him every day. You can get four days of rest. So if that means it's three, if the Mets play three games after the ground pitches and you get an off day, well, the ground's pitching that first game after the off day, even if it messes up someone else's string, you got to try to squeeze out as many starts as you can from an ace like that in such a short season. Yeah, for sure. And that'll maybe get the ground 15 starts instead of 12. But again, that could be three wins extra that you get, or it could save the bullpen where you the ground pitches seven or eight innings and you're only using one or two guys out of the bullpen. And that has a effect on the rest of the team as well. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's definitely lots of room to, uh, to play around with pitching in this shortened season. Yeah. And some of the relievers, you know, as we expect that, we have Batances, we got Brad Brock, Diaz Familia, Gazelman. So everything to me is expected for the bullpen, but for their player pool, I, I'm a little surprised that Tyler Bashler did make the, make the player pool. I understand he's got major league experience, but in 2019 and in spring training, he looked like he was just throwing beach balls up there. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I understand why they might have invited him, you know, like you said, he has that experience already that, uh, you know, some other guys don't really have, 
but you know especially lately in spring their first spring training he really was getting rocked around you know it it before spring training, you might have thought, all right, maybe it was just last year. He was working out some kinks, whatever. But it seemed like his, his inconsistencies were carrying over into this season. So it's it's a little bit surprising, a little bit shocking that, you know, he is potentially going to be on the roster for the major leagues. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think the biggest thing with Bachelor is he's got good, he's got great stuff. It's just his fastball, he threw, he threw it so much right down the middle that, it's just going to be whacked all over the ballpark. Yeah. And we saw, we see what I'm also interested in is that Drew Smith is on this player pool. And to me, that's an encouraging sign because I don't think we talk about, I don't think anyone talks about Drew Smith as much as he deserves to be talked about. He was in a bad season for the Mets in 2018. He was one of the, he was one of the, uh, good good parts about it the Mets got him for Lucas Duda he was a good reliever out of the bullpen and I think he really makes a difference and I honestly think he uh he makes this roster out of the spring training 2.0 yeah for sure I mean he's he's definitely you know not a household name but I think you know like you said he he has some good stuff and I think you know this is the year he really comes out and and shows that yeah and and he already had experience when the Mets towards the end of the season, pitching in the eighth, pitching in the ninth inning, pitching in big spots. And with the weapons that the Mets currently have in their bullpen, I don't really see a need for him to have the pressure to go out and pitch those high leverage situations. But when you have a guy like Drew Smith in that bullpen, you know, I think it makes it a very, very deep bullpen. Yeah, no, without a doubt. And, one of the interesting things about this Mets bullpen is that Justin Wilson is currently the only lefty who I think we can agree is guaranteed to be on the roster. But the Mets invited, um, they invited Jason Shreve, the former Yankee and uh, St. Louis Cardinal. And Daniel Zamora is also one of those lefties uh, in, in, the, in the mix to maybe get a bullpen spot do you think the Mets are gonna put in an extra lefty uh, in the beginning of the season when we have 30 players on the roster you know I, I'm really hoping so um you know just to get a little bit of of, uh, of arm diversity in there um you know obviously I'm uh you know I think we're both big uh, Zamora fans coming out of Stony Brook but yeah. uh you know I, I think Shreve and Zamora both definitely have experience you know, Shreve a little bit more than Zamora. I think Zamora's only pitched in just a couple of games. But, you know, they, they have both, you know, been called up. They both have pitched in the major leagues. I think they, they both have some good stuff. And especially getting a couple lefty arms in there, you know, it's it's definitely going to help. Yeah, and I left out uh, David Peterson, who was a non-roster invite. But he is one of the Mets' brighter pitching prospects. He's, he's a starting pitcher. He's not a reliever, which is why I left him off of here. But he was projected to maybe make his major league debut for the Mets during the 2020 season if we played a full year. Uh, you know, do you think? To me, I don't. I don't think he's quite at the point where he's ready to make a major league impact yet. But then again, he's pitched decently. He hasn't really done anything amazing at the minor league level. But I think he's really got an outside shot at this rotation. 
or even being a long reliever or as maybe a six starter that the Mets may need in the in the in the future. You know, I think that I think he's got good upside, especially with uh, what we've seen him do over the last couple of seasons as he's gotten back from Tommy John surgery. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I've seen a couple of uh, his stats from uh, from the minors. He's he's got some great stuff. Um, yeah, I'd say if we had a 162 game season, we'd definitely see him, you know, debuting in the major leagues. But with a 60 game season, I uh, I don't want to get my hopes up, but uh, you know, I I am hoping we we see a little bit of him. He definitely has some good stuff to offer. Yeah, and I think the options the Mets have, in th- in terms of the bullpen, are, are great. But to me, one of these guys gets injured, especially obviously Degrom gets injured. It's it will be a hurt, big hurt for any team losing your ace. But if one of the other four guys get injured, the options to replace him, you have Walker Lockett, Peterson, um, Corey Oswalt, and to me, out of all those guys, I've seen what Oswalt can do. He's pitched decently; he hasn't done anything special in the big leagues. Lockett has been hit around, and to me, I think Peterson would be the first guy I honestly would go to if I needed someone to replace in the rotation yeah definitely i mean he's, he's next in line for me too because i i just think you know what you're going to get out of lockett and you know what you're going to get out of oswald none of them are neither of them are overpowering guys and also another lefty in the rotation is obviously not the not the worst thing in the world yeah and we'll look at the catchers real quick Nothing really too surprising for who the catchers invited. You know, they got Tomas Nito. They got Wilson Ramos, uh, which I think are going to share. I don't want to say share, but is a bulk of the catching duties uh, for the Mets. Um, I don't know what role Rene Rivera may play. Do you think the Mets carry a third catcher in Rivera? You know, I, I think... Probably not, honestly. You know, I, I like Rivera. I like that he's been around with the Mets for, uh, you know, a couple times now. But, um, you know, I, I don't see a need for them to, to bring up a third catcher, especially since I think they're going to be using Nito and Ramos both pretty heavily. Um, although, maybe now that I'm saying that, if they are going to be using both of those catchers pretty, you know, pretty heavily a lot, I think, yeah, I guess a, a third one won't hurt. You know, both of those top two catchers are going to be getting you know a lot of playing time i guess having a third one in there might you know help uh help give nito and ramos a break yeah i think to me the way it seems is that nito and rivera are two good defensive catchers but it's like two different two different types of defensive catchers nito is a very good framer and pitch and uh framer and pitch caller and good receiver Rivera is also a good uh, pitch caller, but he controls a running game at a much, much, much better rate than Nito does. So I think really it just depends on what you want that day in terms of uh, your backup catcher for Ramos, because obviously Ramos is going to play the majority of the time. And I think the Mets bringing Patrick Mazika and Ali Sanchez is just, I want to say a formality, but it's to it's just it's just as like your insurance policy in case these guys get injured you don't want to go in there with only three catchers for your extended spring training and then boom one gets injured and then you had nothing left yeah for sure i definitely agree with you there and to, 
And I think Ramos is going to have a very good season in the 60-game string. You know, he worked his behind off during the spring and during the quarantine period. And I think he's really looking to – he really looked to improve his defense all around because I think even he would tell you it wasn't the greatest year for him as a catcher defensively. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, you, we definitely saw him, you know, posting those videos and stuff on Instagram, you know, training, which was definitely encouraging. Um, I think offensively, I mean, hands down, Ramos is going to be the uh, the best catcher on the roster. Um, so hopefully his, his defense definitely follows that. Right. And we'll look at the infield here. I, not really too many surprises of who was brought on. Uh, you know, the typical Alonzo, Cano, Davis, <clears throat> Guillaume, which also a good sign after Guillaume, Jed Lowry is on that. Jed Lowry's on that roster. So maybe he's healthy. I know I saw a couple uh, tweets that were uh, pretty funny about Jed Lowry being ready, but are we actually going to see some Jed Lowry play for the Mets this year? You know, I'm, I'm really hoping so. I mean, I, I was excited when we first got him. And then obviously things went downhill with him there, but um, you know I I don't think it would hurt. I uh, we definitely have a lot of infielders we can use, so you know I would definitely like to, and I I am hopeful that we will. Yeah, and I think what I also like seeing on this roster is uh, Andres Jimenez will be there in spring training. Now I'm a little torn with him because. I would love to see him be on the roster when it's 30. He may have to get trimmed off when it goes to 28 or down to 26. But I think if you have him, he's a young player, versatile. Obviously, the fans will be in the stadium, but the fans want to see him play. I think he showed out very well in the Arizona Fall League. He had a decent spring training with the bat. Still looked like he needed a little more work. But I think if you're 29 and 30th spot, for your roster out of spring training is a little unsure. If you're deciding between Jimenez and Lowry, I understand you're paying Lowry money, a decent amount of money, but I, I can't see Lowry missing baseball for a year and a half. He's pushing 30. I think he is 36. What's the difference between him and Jimenez? They're both, you know, they're both gonna, I think, produce similarly if you put them in the same spots. No, I definitely agree. And, you know, if you put uh, Jimenez in, you know, he's got more stuff to work up to. You know, he's obviously, you know, just at the beginning of his career, he, you know, gets a little bit of experience now. He can apply that moving ahead. You know, Lowry's he's at the tail end of his career. You know, what, what's he got to work up to? You know, not much. I think, you know, obviously, yeah, he's, we're paying Lowry a lot more. You know, I'm sure the front end would like to see, you know, a little bit of that investment pay off. But, you know, when it comes down to it, I, I think both of them definitely have the stuff to, uh, you know, to help the Mets get, you know, more successful. Yeah, and I think personally I would keep Jimenez, but I think the organization is going to go with Lowry just because he's really the only switch hitter on the roster. Yeah. And whether he's going to play at all with all of the infielders the Mets have on that roster, we don't know. But I think even if he's coming off the bench as the first option for if the Mets need a pinch hitter, which with no with the DH won't be as valuable anymore. But I think his switch inning ability definitely makes him a key contributor. Yeah, that definitely gives him uh, you know a little bit of an extra edge over Jimenez. Yeah, that's true. And and there's 
And one of the interesting things is that Matt Adams is brought with the Mets, which he really doesn't have a place. I mean, obviously they have Alonzo. Dom Smith is uh, also a guy who's going to play first base if Alonzo ha- happened to get injured. Him and him and Nunez, Eduardo Nunez, are interesting to me, and Max Moroff as well, because I don't see really a spot for them to go. I think they're just sort of here as the extra guys, just to just in case someone gets injured. You know, we've seen the Mets' history with injuries before, so I think that's really why they're there. But I don't see them really. I don't even see them playing a game for the Mets this season. No, I definitely agree there. I mean, yeah, like you said, the Mets definitely have a rocky history with injuries. Um, I mean, Nunez was was really smacking the hell out of the ball in uh, in spring training. I would really love to see him suit up for a couple of games. You know, obviously there's uh you know there's some more established players that are that are out there that are probably most definitely gonna you know be be making the starting job there. But I would like to see Nunez uh, you know suit up for a couple of games. Do I think it'll happen? No, but We'll see. Yeah. And looking at the outfielders, we have Suspidus, Coforto, Fargus, which Fargus I actually liked. Very athletic guy. He's got a lot of speed on him as well. Uh, Mariznik, Nemo, and Jared Parker. Now, when you look at the obvious, the Conforto, the Suspidus, Mariznik, and Nemo, you say, oh, that's a pretty crowded outfield. Then you forget that the infield has at least three three guys in uh, Davis, McNeil, and Smith who are probably going to see some outfield action as well. So we have such a, they have such a packed outfield. And it really is interesting to me to see how uh, Luis Rojas is going to balance this out because this is a very deep roster as we see. And it's going to be hard to keep guys fresh when they maybe only play once or twice a week. Yeah, for sure. I mean, like you said, it's it's there's a lot of talent on this team, and it's it's hard to see, you know, that the the numbers on this uh, you know player pool it's gonna just go down and down. You know, we're uh, gonna see who's gonna be starting in the outfield, and it's gonna be interesting. Yeah, and one of the biggest questions is who in the world is gonna be the everyday DH? I think, as we see a lot on social media, I think. The number one person that comes to mind is Ioana Cespedes. Yeah. But personally, to me, if his legs are healthy enough to play the outfield, he's a better defensive outfielder than Smith and uh, left field. He's a better defensive left fielder than Smith or Davis. McNeil's probably even with him, but obviously Cespedes has the better arm. But I think if Cespedes is healthy enough to play in the outfield, Got to put him in left field, and I think Dom Smith is your everyday DH. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. I think I think Cespedes is definitely our best left fielder. Um, obviously, the big if is you know is he going to stay healthy? Um, but yeah, I mean if he if we knew he's going to stay healthy, I'd say hands down, throw him in left field, put Dom Smith at a uh, at DH. But uh, you know we'll we'll see who who knows with Cespedes. Yeah, and I think what makes things easier is that. You look at a team like the Dodgers last year, who they had plenty of guys they could play, but they were all sort of young, and you didn't need to worry about being them them being injured or them running out of steam. At least with the Mets, Suspense, you got to be concerned with his injuries. Nemo, you still got to be concerned with his back. Cano, you don't want to overplay him at 37. Lowry, you wouldn't want to overplay him 
Um, so I think at least you have reasons to move guys in and out of the lineup instead of taking a guy out of the lineup just because you want to give someone else an extra game of at-bats. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I didn't think about that. That's true. Especially now that we have the uh, beginning of the season with the expanded roster, I think we're definitely going to be seeing some more names out there. Right, and we also talked about this as well. I put up an article about this on the site. Wilson Ramos, I think, has to play all 60 games. We talked about how I think he's due for a breakout year or just back to an all-star form type of year. But I think when you give him a day off, you don't really give him a true day off. You put him at DH, let him get his at-bats, put a good defensive catcher in either Nito or Rivera in the game. And then obviously you'll be taking the bat out of either Smith, Cespedes, Davis, whoever you decide to DH normally at that time. But I think to me, Ramos is a very ideal candidate for a designated hitter. Yeah, I definitely agree there. I mean, you know, he's he's got one of the best bats on the team. I think, you know, you know, sitting him out a couple of games, that's, that's going to hurt you. I think we got to utilize his bat. Yeah, and especially in a 60-game season, it's, you just you just can't throw away anything because, like, a team like the Baltimore Orioles could say, all right, uh, we had a nice 35-25 and 25 stretch. We're a playoff team somehow. Like, the same thing can happen to the Miami Marlins, 33-30. and 27 could be good enough to win the NL East just because of how close the competition is between all five teams. So you can't just afford to throw away any games or just afford to say, uh, you know what? I have, I have, I have confidence in this guy, but no, you, you have to play every game like you played in the second half of 2019 where your backs were against the walls. You needed to win every single game. And the Mets virtually went on a, almost historical run but that's the way you need to play you need to play like your eight games out of the wild card from the beginning of the season yeah exactly that's that's a great way of putting it you know they don't have uh you know just a couple of games to spare you know every single game matters even more than it normally does and you know with this shortened season it's it's higher stakes you know you don't have room for for many mistakes yeah and i think that's where i think really it's going to be you're going to see the importance of the manager instead of the guy with the stat books this year because in a 60 in this 60 game it's just a dead sprint it's just like um it's just like the NBA where it's 82 games and if you're you know if you're 10 games out with 20 to play if you're 10 you know you're you're done at least if you're 10 games out at some point during the MLB season like the Nationals you can make a run to the World Series yeah, I mean, yeah. Now, you know, one one hot or cold streak could could make or break your whole season in this upcoming season, you know? Yeah, that's what makes it so interesting. I think the Mets, to me, if, if we could go through a little hypothetical here, to me, if the Mets were playing a right-handed pitcher, to me, my lineup, I think we'd agree with the beginning of the parts. I'll go just position by position. Ramos is your catcher. Alonzo's at, at first base. Cano at second. Uh, Rosario at shortstop um third base is interesting to me but to me jeff mcneil's your everyday guy there left field you go with uh you know, your center fielder is 
uh, either Nimmo Conforto, and then your right fielder is either Nimmo Conforto, and DH, and I think DH has got to be Dom Smith. Yeah, I, I agree with you 100% there. And to me, against a left-hander, it gets a little more interesting to me because what I would do is I would keep Ramos and Alonso, but then personally I would take Cano out of the lineup. Cano would go to uh, Cano would be off on the bench. McNeil moves to second. Rosario stays at short, and now J.D. Davis comes and plays third. You keep Cespedes in the outfield, and you put Marisnik in center. You put um, Conforto or Nimmo in right, and then Conforto or Nimmo DH. Yeah. And I, and I think you can – that's another thing. This DH, I think, gives the Mets so many possibilities – where I think they're really the best suited out of every team in the National League for this. Yeah, no, I definitely agree with you there. I think, uh, you know, especially having Jake Marisnik, I think, you know, a lot of people are forgetting about him being on the Mets now. I think defensively he's he's a stud. He's really going to help us out. But, yeah, I think, you know, we we got to utilize him a little bit more, even offensively. I think he, you know, he's, he's set for a good year this year, and I think he can really help us out. Yeah, Marisnik's, to me, guaranteed at least 20 games just because he's going to go in for defense at some point. Yeah. Um, and I think again, I th- and I think you really got to pick and choose when when this guy is going to pitch. I wouldn't put him on the mound. I wouldn't put him. I wouldn't play him if Degrom's pitching or Stroman because one Degrom's a swing and miss guy and a ground ball guy. Stroman's a big ground ball guy, but for a guy like Mats and Porcello, I think that's a definitely a great time for for Rizink to play because both of those guys have been prone to the long ball in the past. And they do just give up a lot of fly balls in general. Yeah. And before we wrap up here, we'll talk about what we expect in just a couple days. That we I don't know if any of these spring training games are going to be televised at all. But you know, what sort of things are you looking for from the Mets, or what sort of players are you looking to see rebound or get ready for what is coming up in less than a month at MLB season? Yeah, I know it's it's. I mean, I'm so happy to be saying that now, finally. But um, you know, I'm expecting big things. I think the uh, the Mets had a lot of pieces of the puzzle last year, and I think you know going into this this year they got you know even more pieces, and I think they just got you know a couple pieces left to put the whole puzzle together. And I think with this with this shortened season, I think they're very aware of of the fact that they need to get you know right out of the gate, you know, a, a hot start and maintain that for 60 games. Yeah. And- and for this spring training, the Mets only put 45 guys on the 60-man 60, 60 player pool. So there's a lot of names they can put in and out of that. But what I'm really looking to see is, one, is Wilson Ramos. Because he talked about changing his approach. I was a little too more too much ground ball oriented. And he's slow as can be. So he, he understands that that's not going to work for him. So I want to see if he's got a little more fly ball approach. And secondly, I want to see how the bullpen looks because Edwin Diaz doesn't have a month to work with. Jerry's Familia doesn't have a month to work with. The Mets need to win, and they need to win soon and be in control of their own destiny from the beginning so they're not fighting from the bottom in the second half of the year. So I'm very interested to see, does Diaz look like how he does throwing in Puerto Rico? Does the weight loss that Familia had, does he return to being the all-star dominant form? 
Batanz is, does he, is he fully healthy? And, you know, I think we look good from Justin Wilson and Seth Fugo. And how, how deep do the Mets have to rely on this bullpen? Because to me, with such a deep bullpen, you can treat every game that DeGrom or Stroman doesn't pitch as a postseason game. You can say, all right, you know, that was a good five innings from Porcello, gave up two runs. He threw 77 pitches. Let's go to Gazelman and get us to the sixth and seventh, and let's go to whatever whatever hand we want to play for the last two innings. So I think the bullpen is going to be what really separates the Mets from being a 32-win team as projected uh, by the Vegas odds or as a 37-38 win team that wins this division. Yeah, for sure. So I think I'm very interested to – I hope we can see some footage. To me, it will also be interesting to see how the Mets are going to operate using City Field. They talked about using um, Cyclones Ballpark as another site. But it's, it, I would love to see how the Mets are going to make the most out of spring training at City Field because it's not like you're playing um, – at the complex in Port St. Lucie, you only have the field. You have the tunnels under. I would love to see them utilize the parking lots as well for maybe putting some mounds back there, some other cages or areas for players to hit. Because 45 guys, it's pretty hard to have a spring training schedule, right, in one field like that. Yeah. So I would love to, I, to me, I'm excited to see what creativity. Hopefully they use the parking lots because to me, I would, if I were the Wilpons, who we'd even touch about the possible sales um, going on with them, but we'll touch about that on the on the next uh, on the next podcast. But to me, I'm excited to see what they're actually going to do with all the space they have and all these players they have. Yeah, I mean, you definitely got to think outside the box with this team. Well, I mean, you <laughs> it reminds us of the stuff we had to do for you know a club baseball team at school where. We have to practice. We had to practice on a soccer field, so we had to be as innovative as we could in that span. And you know, it was uh, it was fun to improvise with certain things that we did and take advantage of what we had at that field. But you know, it's it's going to be who's who's going to utilize their space the best because it would be funny to me to just have video and see Jacob Degrom throwing a bullpen session in the city field parking lot. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so that'll be it for this week's edition of the podcast, uh, Fireside Mets. This is episode four now, so we're slowly but surely building up our episodes and getting them up on Spotify. We thank you all for listening again. And for Jimmy Riley, this is Daniel Marcillo, and we're excited to bring you some actual Mets baseball news and topics as the weeks go forward. <laughs>